Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Today kicks off the new legislative session for the Missouri House and Senate, and that means a whole host of lawmakers vying to get bills passed. It could mean changes to how they govern and how we live our lives. So joining us from our bureau in Jefferson City to give us a preview is St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jacqueline Driscoll. Jacqueline, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Last year, the legislative session ended up making national headlines for Republicans' attempts to crack down on abortion. Governor Parson signed an eight-week abortion ban that's now pending with a legal challenge in the courts. But I'm wondering, does this year's session promise similar fireworks? I don't think so. Not that I've heard specifically if you're referring to abortion that is tied up in in the courts. So they don't expect any movement on anything in that regard. When I spoke with House Speaker Elijah Har, I spoke to a few Democrats who would like to see maybe some exclusions applied to that legislation specifically for rape victims and victims of incest. Um, but they don't expect that to come back uh, this legislative session. And of course, it is an election year and that tends to result in a whole lot of grandstanding from lawmakers who are looking to get reelected. So that doesn't tend to be um, very exciting, a very exciting legislative session year. But, you know, lawmakers could surprise us and do some really um, remarkable things. We will see. So give us a a sense of how this session will unfold. Um, Other than all the grandstanding we can now anticipate, how long are they going to be in session? Are there specific things they have to get done while they're in it? Right. The most important thing that lawmakers uh, need to do during legislative session is, of course, pass a state budget. Right. Our budget needs to be in place so the state can function. I'm from Illinois, where we didn't have a budget for a couple of years. So I got to see how horrible it was for our state to not have a budget. So um, House Speaker Elijah Har says this is a really important year for passing the budget for Missouri because there are some um, futuristic things that he's keeping in mind um, to make sure that Missouri is set up for a successful financial future. There's a lawsuit that's pending that Missouri may have to pay out regarding uh, Department of Corrections employees. That's like, I believe, $100 million. So that's big. There's a possibility of Medicaid expansion making it on the ballot um, and possibly being approved by voters. So that's really important. But, you know, really, the the, uh, legislative session is all about legislative action. Uh, The legislature is an assembly with authority to make laws. And this is the time that they do that. So um, it'll be important to pay attention because... You know, everything from the budget where we're appropriating money for K through 12 education or infrastructure or roads down to things like we saw last legislative session where they made big changes to the laws surrounding abortion. So we also talked to House Speaker Elijah Har here on St. Louis on the Air. Um, and he, of course, is a Republican representing Springfield. And I'd like to play a bit of my conversation with him. I began by asking him about the mayors of St. Louis and Kansas City lobbying for gun reform. They're seeking laws to keep guns out of the hands of minors. And I asked if that was something that he is open to. I think uh, gun reform is it's probably not something that the legislature is really excited about looking at. Uh, we we, we think it violates our constitutional duties, but we are concerned about violence in the major cities and ways that we can combat that issue, working with the witness protection programs, working with the police department, and working with law enforcement leaders to make sure that we have uh, a strong group of police on the street and making sure that the, the, the primary group of people that are causing these these 
crimes are put away um, and help the police department get, a, get get sort of a jump on on the investigation and the prosecution of these individuals. The mayor of St. Louis would like to see the state pass some sort of legislation that would let St. Louis police officers live outside the city, basically doing away with the residency requirements. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a good idea. I think it's something that we could help them with, and uh, we're, we're, we're excited about that opportunity. The mayor was unable to get the Board of Aldermen, which is her own governing body, to do anything on this. Does that affect your interest in, in being willing to do something at the state level? I don't think it does. I, you know, our, our job as the state legislature is to sort of see how we can provide some resources to the cities in this, and that's something that I think um, we're willing to, to step into and, and see if we can help with. Going back to the guns um, idea for a minute, the governor has called this request a, quote, reasonable ask. Is that something that he's broached at all with you? He has never once brought the issue of, uh, of gun control up with me. Are you surprised that he'd give this sort of public blessing to the plan and then not do anything behind the scenes to follow up with the person who could make it happen? You know, I've I, I've had a few conversations with the governor, and um, his words to me is that he believes he was taken out of context. That he's very focused on violence in the major cities, but but he has not made any ask of us to do anything on gun reform. So he believes the the idea of this being something he blessed was was taken out of context. That's how he related to us. Okay, so for you going forward, what's your number one priority for this new session? I think the number one priority every year, both constitutionally and philosophically, is the budget. Uh, obviously, we've got some some potential storm clouds on the horizon that may may cause budgetary budgetary issues in in 21, 22, and 23. And so, doing a doing a good job of being fiscally conservative budgeting this year is probably our number one goal. Um, we also, obviously, the violence of the major cities having St. Louis, Kansas City, and Springfield each be um, sort of in the spotlight for, for violent crime is something we take very seriously. I know the governor's been looking at it, the mayors. We've had several House members that have been looking at, you know, what other states and other cities have done and ways that we can sort of pitch in and work together and, and combat the, the rising crime rates in the cities. Are there any states that you're looking at in particular that you feel like represent a good way forward on that issue? You know, I think the the interesting thing is that if you look at the United States since the mid-1990s, crime has dramatically fallen. I think, you know, cities like New York City have seen their their murder rates decrease by 90%. So it's unusual that you have um, cities like St. Louis that have sort of gone the opposite direction. So we're looking at what other, what these other larger cities have done um, and the states have done to sort of prepare themselves and, and, and handle these crime crime issues when they flare up. So you do see this as a state issue, though. I mean, there's something that you think that could be done legislatively that that could uh, change the chessboard here? Ah, yeah, I think we're all in this together. And as, as Springfield, Kansas City and, and, and uh, St. Louis go, so goes the state. Um, I think, you know, helping their investigatory units, obviously, when a city like the size of St. Louis has 200 homicides in a year, we're going to need to help their investigatory units because they're, they're going to need that and uh, making sure that we do a proper job of, of both policing the streets, prosecuting the individuals that, that did this will, will go a long way to, towards sort of us getting ahead of that, that crime epidemic by next year. You mentioned the state budget. Is there any possibility that there would be some funding that would come from the state on this? That's certainly been discussed. I don't really have details at this point, but it's certainly we, we're looking at ways that we can help with some dollars. 
Okay. In terms of that budget, um, the Post-Dispatch has reported that you're apparently at an impasse with the governor when it comes to even just the basic revenue projections. What's the root of that disagreement? Well, we continue to have discussions with the governor. You know, we've, we've got economists, they have economists. We're just trying to figure out what, what growth rate the state's going to be at next year and how to budget in a, a prudent, conservative uh, manner. But, you know, we're not at an impasse. We continue to have discussions on that every day. You think you can you can figure that out pretty soon here? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue to try to, but it's we've had other years in, in where we've not reached an agreement on the, the consensus revenue estimate. If we don't do that, we still pass budgets in those years just like we do in the years we agree. Now, we had previously on our show talked to both a Republican and a Democrat who were on board for closing the online sales tax loophole in Missouri. And at this point, we're one of just two states that has a sales tax that doesn't apply that to online purchases. Is this on your priority list for the next session? It is. And I think that we've got a real opportunity to, to finally put this issue to rest. I know uh, one of the members of leadership in the House, Jay Eggleston, and then Senator Andrew Koenig have had a lot of fruitful discussions. We had an interim committee take a look at that and travel around the state, take testimony on uh, taxation issues. And so I think we're, we're probably starting the year in the best position possible to, to try to get to some agreement on this issue. Why do you think that didn't happen last year? It just seems like such a no-brainer from the outside looking in. You know, there's a there's a lot of a, a lot of moving parts, and I think one of it is Missouri has more taxing districts than any other state in the country. So it's a very complicated uh, system that we have to go through and make sure we get right. And so I think that sort of makes us an outlier in how we handle the, the Wayfair issue. Also on the revenue front, um, do you think there'll be a loosening of laws that govern sports betting? You know, obviously there's going to be a lot of discussion about gaming. I think a lot of the states, both in the Midwest and nationally, have have found ways to legalize sports gaming. Um, so there will be a lot of discussion early on. We'll, we'll see how that plays out in the committee process. What about these, um, in particular, these slot-like machines in gas stations? I know this has been a subject of some controversy lately. Do you think we'll see legislation to legalize them? I think, first off, I think that the, the, the so-called gray games that you see in gas stations around Missouri, I think those are a pretty clear violation of state law. Um, I think that we put together an interim committee to look at that issue, and I think that's what they gathered. Um, there's going to be some, some legislation that's proposed about trying to legalize and tax those types of games um, like some other states do, and I'm very curious to see how that goes. But I think we have to start from a position that agreeing that, that the gray games that exist right now, they're illegal, they're not paying tax money, and I think it's something that I have a lot of concern with, and so do a lot of members of, of my caucus and in the House. Do you think those could end up being a major source of funding? You know, in some other states, in Illinois, for instance, there's several hundred million dollars that have generated from the, the, the those types of games. Uh, but in those states, you know, they're fairly heavily regulated. In Missouri right now, they sort of exist, exist outside of regulation. I have a lot of concerns about that. Um, let's talk for a minute about Clean Missouri. This is something that was overwhelmingly approved by the voters, and it was supposed to mean that districts would be drawn by a nonpartisan demographer. But there's been some real pushback from some of your colleagues. Are you on board to try to stop this thing? Well, what, what we're on board with is the, the citizens of Missouri were given essentially the option of the, the old system or, or one new system. And we think it'd be imperative for us to give the voters at least one other option. Um, we've got a lot of concern both within my caucus, but also the Black Caucus about these districts breaking up some communities of voice around the state. And so we've, we've had ongoing discussions about how best we can do this and how we can give the voters another choice. But anything that we do would go to the voters and, and we want to see sort of where they come down on this issue. 
There's not really any map that's on the table at this point. What are the bigger picture concerns you have about this? Well, the bigger picture concerns is sort of how they changed the drawing. You know, originally it used to be about keeping communities together, contiguous districts, you know, trying to stay with inside counties. A lot of this new uh, system would be to draw more competitive districts. And so what our fear is is that you might have some voters from from the inner city connected with some voters in the rural area. They have no mutual interests, um, but they'd be drawn together just to create competitive districts. Well, that's sort of you sort of lose some of the voices of, of both the rural and the urban areas if you do that. And so I think that's one of the things we're re- very concerned about. Are you worried there could be a backlash from the voters? I mean, they did overwhelmingly approve this thing. I'm not worried at all because all we'd be doing is offering them another option. If they don't like the option, they could simply vote it down. And this would be something that would go to the voters, not just get sorted out um, within the House? Right. As a constitutional amendment, so it would have to go to the voters. And so anything we did on, on, on trying to uh, give them an option would, 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 by law, have to go to them. Okay. Now, there's some talk that some House leaders want to change the initiative process itself. Are you one of those people? Yes, I am. A few years ago, probably in 2015, I filed a bill um, that would have increased the level to amend the Constitution. Um, I, I think it's something that other states have done. Um, right now, we can amend the Constitution with 50% plus one. I filed a bill that would raise it to 60%. This is something they did in the state of Florida about 20 years ago. Um, I think it's important that our the way we change our Constitution be be a little more enhanced and, and different than the way we change a statute book because our Constitution should have a little bit larger of an impact. And I think over the, the past 50 years, you've seen more and more people putting stuff on the ballot to change the Constitution, and it requires the same sort of statute or same sort of vote as a statutory change. And that, that gives me some concern. I think our Constitution is, is sort of a sacred document that should require a little bit higher of, a, uh, higher of an approval margin by the voters. Are you worried in particular about the initiative that people are working on right now to try to push Medicaid expansion within the state? You know, obviously, I think that will have a huge impact on the budget if it passes. I, you know, not not in 2020, but if, if Medicaid expansion passes next year in 2021, the, the, the General Assembly is going to have to cut several hundred million dollars out of um, other types of, of funds, you know, the, the K-12, uh, higher education, things like that, to make up the funding for Medicaid expansion. So that has me that has me concerned. I, I, I It is my hope that the voters um carefully consider the fiscal consequences of of Medicaid expansion. And that was House Speaker Elijah Har speaking to us yesterday from Jefferson City. And today we're talking to St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jacqueline Driscoll, who's also in Jefferson City, about her analysis of the session that begins today. Jacqueline, Speaker Har was talking about um, maybe changing the threshold for initiatives in Missouri to require 60 percent of voters to approve something as opposed to a simple majority. Do you think we'll see a big push to do that this session? I do. I've heard from several um, Republicans specifically that would like to change how, um, you know, the process for getting an amendment onto the state constitution. Um, right now, the the it requires the ballot to receive 8% of voters in at least six of Missouri's congressional districts, depending on the district that ranges from about 25,000 to 30,000 signatures in each district. Um, so, yeah, I've heard from a lot of different people, specifically Senator Bill Igel from Walden Springs. He's a Republican, and that is one of his big initiatives. It's interesting. There's been a lot of talk about how Missouri voters have behaved in ways that are much more progressive when they're looking at these statewide initiatives in terms of medical marijuana, clean Missouri, things like that, than their own representatives. This might be a way for the representatives to take back some power. 
Right. I spoke specifically with Minority Leader Crystal Quaid. She's a Democrat in in the House. Um, And we talked specifically about this since I am new to the state. I found it very interesting that a lot of the voters do tend to overwhelmingly approve these more, um, I guess, liberal or, you know, the, the the ideas that Democrats are pushing when they do go to the ballot, but a lot of the uh, their elected officials that they send to the state capitol um, don't always support those initiatives. So I do think that that's really interesting. In Illinois, I didn't have that option. We didn't have the option for ballot initiatives. So I'm really excited to see how that plays out this year. So we also talked to um, Speaker Har about the crime problem here in St. Louis, and it, he's saying the House takes that seriously, but the Republicans are not going along with what the city has asked for. He he mentioned there might be funding for something different as opposed to some new gun control measure. Have you heard any specific proposals coming from the Republicans? You know, I haven't heard anything specific, and I've tried to keep up on some of the pre-filed legislation, but I haven't heard any anything specific in terms of more revenue being generated for any specific programs or anything like that. But I do know that Speaker Har says he's very hesitant about getting on board with any type of gun regulation because, as he said in your interview with you, as he said in my interview with me, that they take their oath to the Second Amendment very seriously, um, and they would be very hesitant and probably something that none of the Republicans in his caucus would support. Um, But he is trying to take it very seriously, this rise in urban violence that we've seen, uh, especially this past summer. He just has a different idea of how to curb that violence. Specifically, he wants to make sure that um, they take care of Uh, law enforcement, making sure that they have the tools that they need, but also making sure that they can hire officers. And once officers are hired, they have, you know, health resources available, specifically mental health resources available for them when they do see and have to participate in these, uh, you know, these violent crimes and um, just really wants to make sure that law enforcement is taken care of rather than um, approaching the idea of any type of gun reform. We also wanted to talk to Democratic leadership about their priorities. Earlier today, I talked to State Senator Gina Walsh, who is the minority leader. I started by asking her about her priorities, and she said that Democrats are looking for more jobs, stronger wages, better and more affordable health care, good schools, and safe streets. Those were all at the top of her agenda. I also asked her about uh, the Clean Missouri initiative that had been approved by voters. As we discussed with Senator Haar, it wasn't just Republicans who didn't like some of its components. Some African-American lawmakers in her own party were also staunchly opposed. And they say that drawing more competitive districts, as the law requires, would be bad for black representation. I asked if she shared those concerns. No, I don't. I, You know, I, I think that's an insult to the folks that elected me. And then I've elected my colleagues, but my district is um, probably 75% um, African-American, mm-hmm. maybe 70, and they have elected me. But my House members in all of the seats, I believe, but one or two are African-Americans. They're good. They're strong advocates of mine, and we work closely together. I don't think that my constituents, you know, I never thought they did, but it was proven to me in a campaign for one of my races. Mm-hmm. We were on the podium and my opponent said, look to your left and look to your right and then look at me and elect somebody that looks like you. 
Well, my constituent said, I want somebody that responds. I want somebody that answers the phone. I want somebody that knocks on my door. I don't care what they look like. Now, with that said, if you, I think that a state monographer, an unbiased state monographer, is going to draw lines that are fair to all involved and take the politics out of it. And I think that that's what Clean Missouri does. Let's talk about another issue that's likely to be on your plate this year. Um, St. Louis Mayor Lida Krusen has asked the state for help to remove the city's residency requirement for police officers. This is something her own board of aldermen opposes. Um, House Speaker Har told us he's on board. What about you? You know, I haven't looked at it. I really haven't. I have over the over the years. I've had opinions on it. Um, I heard that last week. I watched your interview on one of the local TV stations about it, so I'm interested to see where that goes. In the past, I have been, my family were city policemen mm-hmm. when I was, like, way back 50 years ago. Uh, and at that time, I guess there was no residency because they moved from the city into the county. Okay. You know, I believe people should be able to live wherever they want, but I also understand the folks that do support residency um, that they like seeing the police car that goes home with the officer at night in their neighborhoods, that they like knowing that the people that uh, salaries they pay, and we hear that all the time as folks that serve the community, are there and available. Mm-hmm. But I also think that these people should be able to live in places where they send their kids, kids to schools of their choice. Um So I don't know. There's a lot of pros and cons and moving parts to that. We'll see where that shakes out. Speaker Hart did say he thought there were other ways legislators can help with the crime problem in St. Louis and Kansas City. Do you get the sense that your Republican colleagues will be focused on the right ones? Um, I certainly hope so. I I, uh, spoke to somebody at your station last week. We're killing our kids. We're killing our future every day. I mean, I I really believe that the average citizen, if you ask them what the gun laws in Missouri were, could not answer that question. What Uh, about uh, the mayors of Kansas City and St. Louis have wanted to see um, a new law that would get it out of the hands of people under 21? Uh, Would you like to see some movement on that in the statehouse? Well, well, it depends, because I don't mind, you know, in rural areas, areas, uh, I have family that live in northeast Missouri. My children's counterparts up there, they they skeet shoot, they go hunting, they learn gun safety at a young age. You know, in a 21, cut, and they, putting an age on gun ownership or between 17 and 21, I don't know if that's the right thing for that group of people. But we have guns on the street that have one thing, they have one main purpose, and that is to kill people. I don't see any reason for people to own guns like that. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that as a mom and a wife. Uh, I I don't understand why we need guns like that. That was State Senator Gina Walsh, uh, the minority leader. And we're talking to St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jacqueline Driscoll about the upcoming legislative session that starts today. Jacqueline, um, Senator Walsh talked about being open to the mayor's request to lift the city's residency requirement for cops. Speaker Har is also on board. Do you think that means the mayor's likely to get what she wants? 
You know, asking these questions to the new kid on the block, I, I, I can never predict what lawmakers um, will do. It does seem, though, that they have the right support, um, both bipartisan support. So that's the first step in making sure that there is some movement during this legislative session. One issue I didn't get to talk to Senator Walsh about was the idea of extending civil rights protections to gay and lesbian residents. Democrats have introduced legislation to do that for the past 21 years. Do you think they'll be able to get movement on that this year? You know, I spoke with both minority leaders, Walsh and Quaid, and neither one of them mentioned that that was a top priority. So I can't say as to whether or not this will be a big push this legislative session. Right now, when I ask them what's on their agenda as we head into it right now in January, neither of them listed that as a priority. St. Louis Public Radio reporter Jacqueline Driscoll, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.